All right, let me get my bearings here. We are talking about using your John Frame Systematic Theology uh, book here as our, as our skeleton uh, for our discussion about God. That's what theology is. We're studying God. Uh, we learn that the greatest theme of the scriptures is that He is Lord. The Shema, you know, uh, Yahweh Ahad, the Lord is one. Uh, is, that's that's uh, the truth of the scriptures. You get to the, script, you get to the New Testament that, that we may believe or that we may confess that Kurios Jesus, Jesus is Lord. That's the confession that we have. He's Lord. He's in control. He has absolute authority and He's present judging and evaluating all things, um, present specifically with us in grace and in this covenant as our Lord. We discussed His acts, whether that be in miracles or providence or His decrees, and then we started discussing His attributes. His attributes is what is attributed to Him. The, uh, the Lord is blank. Whatever that is, we are attributing or predicating something to be true about God. And he, is, he has in His Word said that there are things that are true about Him. We talked about His, um, we talked about his moral attributes. Our God is good. Our God is righteous. Our God is holy. Our God, uh, we talked about His wrath, uh, His hatred, uh, His love. His moral attributes. Then we talked about his intellectual attributes. He's the God that knows. Uh, he is omniscient. And then we started talking about his attributes of power. And we've noticed that a lot of these are kind of, uh, you know, how where, where they're overlapping. Uh, because when we're talking about his omniscience, we're talking about he's not limited in knowledge. There's nothing. He has the power of knowing. <laughs> um, all power of knowing. There is no limit to his knowledge whatsoever, regardless of what people may want to say. Uh, and then sin, we, we talked about his power over his, just his will. Uh, our God uh, has willed things to be, we're Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, then we talked about his, him being Lord over time. He is, omni, he, he is eternal, I'm sorry. He is eternal, he is infinite. Um, and we've talked about that. So we're now talking about him being omnipresent and all-temporal. Uh, not all-temporal, but, but all-spatial. He's, 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 he's omnipresent. So he's above space, as just as we said with time, he's Lord of time in the, in the fact that he is above it. He created it, uh, and he is above it. So, so it is with space. He is above space. Um, he is... He is uh, without, spati without spatial dimensions in and of himself. He is over it. He created space. In the beginning, God created the heavens uh, and the earth. So he's above space and matter. So we're talking about both of those dimensions now. Not just the in the beginning, he's before the beginning he was, but before the heavens and the earth he was. And so, but he's also, so that's, so he's also, he's all spatial. He is above space. He supersedes it. We looked at that idea uh, that from Solomon's prayer. Uh, he builds the temple and he says, but 
you don't dwell in temples made with hands. You're, you're over all things. Uh, uh, the, it cannot contain me. We can't build anything that contains God. We put God in this box where that box is, is, a, is a, small, as a, a small box or the entire universe. The universe itself cannot contain God. He is all-spatial. He is, he is a Lord over space. So just like we did with time, I'll draw a little box here. We'll call this space, and the Lord is above it. I'm not, I guess I'll go ahead and take time to draw the entire cube. <laughs> but he is above space. But he has also entered into space to make himself known to us. Uh, so we talk about his omnipresence. That is, he is present here. And he is present in all places, wholly present. He's not divided in any certain way. So we're talking about those two ideas of God. And last week we, we got deeper into that, into those differences and, and the ethical focus of this. And now I want you to turn to John chapter 4. And we'll see how deep we can get into this. And I'll, my goal is to finish this up next week. And then after that I want to talk about... Um, the aseity of God, uh, and maybe even get a little bit into the Trinity in the next few weeks. And I know we spent a good time on the Trinity uh, last year, uh, but, uh, but I want to maybe touch on some things specifically in this vein of thought. John chapter 4, we know the story, the woman at the well, and he says something to the woman here in verse 24, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. We're going to talk about the incorporality, incorporeal, corporeal nature of God. And I'm not sure that I spelled that right. I think I did. Please don't correct me if I didn't. But most of y'all can't see it anyway. So, <laughs> uh, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, what's the context of this? The context of this is she was saying, the woman there at the well was saying, uh, we believe that we worship God in this mountain, and you all believe that we need to go to uh, 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 Mount Moriah, there in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, and there we ought to worship him. But we believe here, and you believe there. And, and he corrects that by saying that the time is coming that there is the, the time is coming and now is that we worship in spirit. That there is not a specific place uh, where God is necessarily uh, limited to and our worship can be had at any location because God is spirit. Now the idea here is that God is incorporeal. He doesn't have a body. Now with the Mormons he has a body. <laughs> a real fleshly body like you and me where uh, you don't you don't get that in the scriptures uh, and outside of the incarnation of Christ where he took upon himself humanity, but 
God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship in the spirit. So he has an incorporeal nature. What does that mean? Sometimes we connect that with what Christ says there in Luke chapter 24, where, he, where after he rose, they thought he was a ghost just standing in the mist. And he, had to, and he says, give me some fish or touch me, handle me. Uh, spirit doesn't have flesh and bone like you see me have. Um, but, but I don't think that that's a really great connection, and I agree with uh, John Frame here that that's not a really great connection. What he was trying to prove there was only that he did not, a ghost does not have a body. Um, and he was not a ghost. He had flesh and blood. Uh, so, but what, why do we believe in the incorporeal nature outside of, outside of the in, implications of comparing Luke 24 here with John 4? Well, to believe in that God does not have a body made up of parts is a good and necessary consequence of biblical teaching. Some of the teachings that we've saw so far, he's above space and so on and so forth. His, and that necessitates... Sorry. That necessitates that God is not spatial in any way. He is not a physical being. Uh, so that gets us into this idea, though, that He is still imminent in space and in time. So He's here among us, not in a bodily way, but He is here among us in a very real way. He is imminent and not just transcendent. And that's what, the, this, that's what this indicates. He is above space, but he is entered into space. He is transcendent and he is imminent at the same time. So just as he enters into time, he enters into space, and we experience him in that way. We, we experience God in his revelation in time. Uh... So when we think about this, we, we don't think of this in a pantheistic sense that God does have, that God is present because he is, because this world is his body. Uh, that, that, that is not what, we're, what, what we mean by God entering into space. We don't mean that uh, God, has, God is now identical in any way or taking on the body of this world. Uh, so God is not identified with any physical being. So, so uh, that's why idolatry, uh, in the sense of making graven images and things like that, were, were prohibited. Uh, Moses says, when we were at the mount, we didn't see a form, we didn't see a shape, so we're not going to reduce God to any kind of form or shape. Um, God is also a simple being, uh, God is the Lord is one. There is not, there, God is not made up of parts. He is a simple being. Um, not simple as in we were, we're able to figure it out because it's simple. <laughs> the nature of God is very profound. But he is simple. He is one. Uh, and, and not divided into parts. And, but being physical means you can be divided into parts. My hand, my feet, my eyes, and things of that nature. Uh, to be omnipresent in space and time cannot be he cannot be a particular physical thing um, because he inhabits all places equally um, if God is a physical thing in the fact that he has that he has a body a physical body of any type 
his body would have to be the entire universe. But what is the problem with that? What's the problem with saying that the universe is God's body and therefore he's present? Well, it flies in the face of what we already know about what the scriptures say. This is not God. Neither is this. Or anything else in here. We can't point to a particular thing and say that's God. If you have a panentheistic or a pantheistic, pantheist view of the world, that the world, the universe is his body, then you start identifying various things as divine in and of themselves. There is in the scripture a creature, creator, creature distinction. So we are able to say, I, God was able to declare, I have made these things. They are not me. <laughs> they are the creation. So we maintain, the scriptures maintain uh, this, this uh, distinction between God and the rest of the world. Uh, so everything is not God. Everything was created by God. Uh, so nothing in the world is divine. But in what way, then, does God make himself known in space? Because as, the, uh, as has been spouted by uh, atheists and things of that nature, if God is everywhere, then he's nowhere. Uh, that's this, this idea that is spouted by them. So if we say that God is equally everywhere then there is no one place where we can say that God has indeed manifested himself. But God has manifested himself. He has said, Psalm 139, that we've looked at repeatedly, no, everywhere I go, God's already there. <laughs> um, but in entering space, he has entered space in order to make himself known. And he makes himself known in ways that are analogous to our experiences. Um, Turn to John chapter 1. You're already in John chapter 4. But John chapter 1. This is one of many places where this is seen. Just read the very first few words of verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. Do we believe that? Well, I mean, we have, we have good reason to believe that. Not only just because it says it directly here, it says it directly many places. No man has seen God at any time. Now, what about this idea that Isaiah saw the Lord? One of many places. Isaiah saw the Lord. Now, what, how, how, do we, how do we bring some synthesis to this? So I want to throw out two words for you. God has made himself known to us in space and matter. We're including that, this idea of matter as well. This awe-spatial God has become 
who is also entering into space, is omnipresent in all points of space. He fills all of space, but is above all of space. Has made himself known in terms that you and I can understand. There's this word, the, theophany. Anybody know what that means? What is a theophany? Now it's Greek, theo means God, phan means appear. Theophany. So God appearing. That God that no one has seen appears. Yeah, Christophany, often we have that the same Christ appears, God appears. That's that same root, it's the same root word, fan, fan, I, I said. But uh, God appears. And then you'd already know this one, incarnation. These are a couple terms let's, I want to look at. Now, no man has seen God in his transcendent essence. But God has appeared. God has appeared in certain ways in history and has made himself known. Uh, to see God is for God to be in space and in time in, a way, in the way that you and I are. And that's the whole of the scriptures. Now, now the, the, the first part of that verse John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time. True, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So God, that God that no one has seen has been declared. That's what this text fully says in this context. It's been declared by Son, hence we also use the term Christophany as well. But Christ is God, so theophany, that God has appeared. And He has appeared in ways that you and I would know. So God is, so to say that, that God has not been seen is not to say that God is incapable of viewing or, or to say that God, I got that all wrong, to say that God is auspatial is not to say the same thing, that God is not capable of entering into space and viewing the world from all, the, all of our finite perspectives. So he is able to take on form. Uh, we mentioned last week, and I wanted to get into this, and I'm taking a while trying to get this, uh, get this lesson off the runway. <laughs> I apologize uh, about that. But, but we mentioned last week that God in specific points of time and space made himself known made himself heard. Uh, we were just talking about sound waves, right? Uh, uh, with uh, with uh, Ty there. Uh, when sound waves, the invisible sound waves bouncing off of the ceiling and <laughs> as I was whistling. Uh, but it was experienced by him. He, uh, and it was experienced by all of us. I apologize again for whistling. I get in trouble for that sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I got one person at work uh, at the building I work at that, that will scream and yell every time I whistle in the hallways. <laughs> say, this, say this. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But God 
is heard, God is seen in specific ways. We call these theophanies. What are some of the ways that God, um, God has appeared in the Old Testament, for instance, in specific places, in a specific time? Not just that He's omnipresent, but He is an omnipresent God who is making Himself known through theophany. Well, uh, He took the form of an angel. Remember Jacob wrestling the angel Lord? He walks away halting and limping after the experience, but he would not let go until the Lord blessed him. And he said, I have seen the Lord face to face, and yet I live. Um, he took the form of a man. The Lord appeared to Abraham, Matthew or uh, Genesis 18. Uh, there where the Lord talked with him and the Lord ate with him. Uh, he took the form of a fiery cloud, of a light, of a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to lead them out, which was called the angel of his presence in other places. Um, so God has made himself known. There is a theophany that began right there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We see that he created all things. He was uh, um, heaven and earth. And then what does it say? And the spirit moved. Where? In a place. And then he said, let there be light. What is that? A manifestation of himself. And the dividing of the light and the darkness. So he has this presence, this theophany in specific places and specific times in order to make himself known. Uh, the brightness of the glory of God was seen in the cloud. And we also saw that in the New Testament where we saw the cloud overshadow Jesus Christ there on the Mount of Transfiguration and His light shone. These are very unique times in history that God in a specific way has manifested Himself. Uh, and more, most specifically, the theophany found its crescendo in God actually taking upon flesh, the incarnation, in, uh, infleshing of himself, the tabernacling among us in a very specific way. And that in and of itself was a theophany that we talked about in John 14, 19, not too long ago. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, you have seen the glory of God, yes. Huh? Walked and talked with Adam, theophany. Well, he had, he had some form. The, the voice of the Lord walking. <laughs> uh, now, it was an incarnation. That was not, that was a one, incarnation was a specific one-time event that happened. Uh, and continues to happen because he's still... Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, sitting at the right hand of God, and we're seated with Him there. He has exalted us. See, I mean, He has forever taken that form, but oh, uh, in, a, in a very final way. But before that, it's all theophany. Uh, we're talking about theophanies, the appearing of the Lord in specific ways. Uh, I don't know if that answered your question. But, uh, but, but Jesus Christ Himself, even in an incarnation, was a form of a theophany. You saw the Father by seeing Christ. And we saw that also in the transfiguration. He had the glory which he had with the Father before the, before the, uh, before the foundation of the world. So there's a great mystery here specifically with the incarnation. Christ uh, had two natures. He hungered. He thirsted. He, he, uh, he 
displayed ignorance. <laughs> he says, the Son of Man, though man knows, not the angels, not the Son, knows the hour of His coming. He, 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 had, he had this willingly, willing, willing veiling of all this, but He was still God in these distinct, un, uh, this distinct uh, natures, where these natures was not mixed. He was a man. People will say that all, all the time, uh, uh, Muslims and stuff. You see, God is a man, or God is not a man, it says, and Jesus, it says, it says right here, was a man. Well, God took upon himself the nat that nature and was willingly limited in all the ways that you and I are limited, um, but yet was God in every aspect. And why did he do it? He did it because he was acquainted, became acquainted with us. He was tempted at all points like us, yet without sin. Um, therefore, he can be a sucker or a help unto us in specific ways. Um, so God, by the incarnation or by theophany, is not made to... Made, we're not made to believe that God is ever a physical being. But God took upon himself a form in theophanies. And I'm glad about that because God made himself known. Can you imagine if, God, if the only understanding we have is God has transcended above us? We can't get there. We can't, can't get there from here. There's light that no man can approach, 1 Timothy. And that just leaves it. No, God came here, made himself known in history, in space, in time, in order that we may know him as our Lord. So this will get to this idea of Jimmy's favorite verse. <laughs> it says it specifically. I, uh, Jimmy has said it's his favorite verse at one point in time. I don't know if it still is. But 1 Timothy 1.17 Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible. Um, no need for me to write that down. <laughs> He is the invisible God. He is, he is the Lord of space and matter, and therefore He is the Lord of light. We're talking about the Lord of the manifestation of Himself. The Lord is light, and in Him, in him is no darkness at all. There is an invisibility to God. To say that God is invisible, though, is not to exclude God from the realm of the visible, but to regard Him as the Lord of visibility, the Lord of light. He has a nature that we're incapable of fully knowing or fully seeing. Uh... We've already read there in John 1.18, no man has seen God. Paul would say the invisible things of God are clearly seen. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there is this idea here that he has a nature far beyond what we can fully can comprehend in this statement. Um, God has revealed himself by theophany and specifically in incarnation, both highly visible ways, but yet he is said to be invisible. Now, what do we mean by this? Um, 
and we, we ne- I, I, I guess I've been made here lately to kind of focus in on words and terms that I never really focused on. Uh, there's this t- there's a saying, and sound waves just like light waves. <laughs> Are, are a lot of the same thing, but there's these words that you keep running into, these little phrases. Uh, in Hebrew, it's only one word, uh, but it carries this idea, and God said, and God spoke, and God was seen, all these things. And this is, this is part of this Old Testament heritage that we have, the God, making him, the God that is unknowable making himself known, the God is unseeable making himself seen, the God that is unhearable... Uh, <laughs> making himself heard. Now let's consider a few places in the scripture here, and I hope to make some sense out of this. Um, You remember the story in Exodus 33. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. What did God say? Uh, No man can see me and live. The idea of the invisibility here of God is that we are not capable of, of seeing God in all of His glory. We don't have that capacity. The light, 1 Timothy 6, that no man can approach. There is a glory that is beyond our capacity, and that is God. (laughs) But what did God do here? God said to him, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, I will shelter you with my hand, and I will pass by, and I will make all my goodness pass by you. God in His benevolence made Himself known in a very small way to Moses. Hagar, for instance, would say, the God that sees has seen me, and I have seen Him who looks after me. Uh, Genesis, we mentioned already about Jacob. I have seen the face of God. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered or saved. There was an understanding already that there was this immense glory of God that we are incapable of having, and yet there is theophany. There is him in some way making himself known. You all remember the story of of Samson's parents, uh, Peniel, was his name, uh, where, where the angel of the Lord came. And what did they say after the angel behaved gloriously, it says, uh, uh, and after they, had, after they had encountered him, they said, we have seen God and yet our life is spared. There's an amazingness about this God making himself known. In Numbers chapter 12, uh, Moses, who was, who was being berated by his brother and sister. God answers in a way to them and says, uh, I am not, Moses is not, if there was a prophet, I would make myself known to him in dreams or something like that, but Moses is not like them. I have spoke to him mouth to mouth, really, literally is what it says. Um, uh, there, God makes himself known. And that is this wonderful truth of theophany and, and uh, incarnation specifically. God, turn to First John chapter 1. 
the God who has made himself known. Why? Because he's the Lord of light. He's the Lord of space. He is above it. And he fills it. And in places and times of his choosing, he makes himself known. Born in Bethlehem of Judea. In all of the ways that you and I know, our God was known. First few verses of 1 John. That which was from the beginning. Now let's stop there for a second. What was from... What, what, when we throw out phrases like this, what is he talking about? He's talking about the glory of God, right? In the beginning, God. That which was from the beginning. We have heard. We have seen. We've looked upon our hands have handled. See the big big leap here. God, the glory which we are incapable of seeing and knowing. Heard, seen, looked upon, handled. That's grace right there. Amen. That's that's grace unimaginable. Um Got about six, seven minutes. I want to finish a couple thoughts. Uh, I'm amazed already at the, just the language as I'm encountering in the Old Testament and the Hebrew, but I'm also amazed at that same language when I'm encountering it in the uh, New Testament as well. We are witnesses, eyewitnesses. That's amazing. Our God was made known. We see not all things put under the feet of man, but, Hebrews 2.9, we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. Sometimes these present themselves in great paradoxes to us, things that boggle our mind. For instance, 2 Corinthians 4.18 We look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. We look upon the things that we, that are not seen. There's a paradox in our Christianity because we are dealing with the Lord of light, the Lord of space. By faith, Moses... left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Amen? Or as Ty has already pointed out to us today, I can't see it, but yet it's in my experience now. (whistles) Bouncing right off of the, he heard it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't seen, but it was experienced. You know, we can, uh, Brother, Brother Cameron used to preach and say, uh, if you have the right instrument, you can see things that are invisible. Put a little drop of water on a microscope, 
and look into it. Don't do it. <laughs> you won't drink water if you did, seeing all the wiggly squiggly things moving around, living things that you didn't even know were there. With the right instrument, we can see God. Uh, but God, in a, way, in a specific way, has indeed made himself known. Theophany, incarnation, the apex of this. Uh, just a few things about this. Um, it's hard... Listen, they're, they're, it's hard to wrap a, a philosophy around all this. Uh, that's why I, I, don't, I have a real problem with uh, the folks today that, are, that say, well, if you don't believe Thomas Aquinas, or if you don't, uh, uh, because uh, they're the only, this is, they had a philosophy, which is the only way of, of, uh, of knowing what the scriptures teach about God. I, there is no philosophy that we can wrap around God. And, and this is very difficult for us to, to say, uh, uh, to bring, to coalesce all this. But we are dealing with a God that is far beyond us, that has made himself known. He's the Lord of light and the Lord of space. Now, what are some things here that we can say with, fair, with, with, uh, with confidence? With confidence, we can say God is essentially invisible. Doesn't mean that he can never be seen under any circumstances, but he shows himself by his own sovereignty, by his own grace. He makes himself known uh, in 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 ways and times of his own choosing. That is the power of God to make himself known. The power, of, not our power, to build a tower up to heaven to, to figure out God for ourselves. God is beyond our capability. He is sovereign over his appearing. So we could say God is essentially invisible, beyond the capacity of us to hear and to know and to see. We can say that God has indeed made himself visible in theophany, often, in the incarnation, once. And in our experience in many ways in the theophany and the work of the Spirit, that God has indeed been seen. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And all of that is grace. And one day, and he has even made himself permanently visible in a place called heaven. One day you and I will be there. We can say with confidence that no one has ever seen God meaning that no one has ever seen God apart from His sovereign lordship in His theophanies and incarnation through the revelation of Himself. No man by himself has seen God by his own capability. If you know God, if you've heard God, if you've seen God, you've just seen God because He's Lord over space, over light. We could say with confidence that His presence is a terrifying thing. Moses at the mountain says, I do exceedingly quake. When God comes, where He, stand, where he is, where He shows Himself as holy ground. And that's a fearful thing. If, if we know God is present somewhere, uh, that's a fearful reality.
Moses had to be hid in the cleft of a rock for God's glory to pass by. And what a great anticipation that had for Christ, who was shared that very glory with the Father. There is notable difference between the inauguration of God's covenant with Moses and the beginning of the new covenant. There's, uh, this, this I'll stop here. I want us to look, uh, just consider this. When God inaugurated the old covenant, let's take this Hebrews 12, for instance, we have not come to Mount Sinai, but we have come to Mount Zion, right? Uh, at Mount Zion, there was fearful quaking. Uh, at, Mount Zion, there, there, at, Mount, at Mount Sinai, there was fearful quaking. At Mount Zion, which we have come, is the fellowship of the children of God. Uh, the former, Mount Sinai, the people saw no form. But in the New Testament, the incarnation, they handled Him. They saw Him. The reason that there no... Uh, the reason that no form was Saul is because uh, uh, I can't read this the, the reason is not that there was no form to be seen in the Old Testament uh, according to Numbers 12 he spoke face to face with, uh, with Moses but the revelation included and the revelation included visible phenomenon but the Israelites were withheld from it but in the New Testament, not only was he visible, but he was visible in profound fellowship. He broke bread with him. He took a cup with him. So we can look at those two ideas and how God has made himself most perfectly known in the incarnation. One, last thing, the visibility of God often has an eschatological thrust. The new covenant, and I'm just reading this verbatim from frame, the new covenant with this highly visible revelation of God is the beginning of an age to come in which God will indeed dwell with men. And at the end of the very and at the end of the story, when we get to Revelation, it says there'll be no need of light there because God will be its light. Um and he will say, I will, be my, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that started with the new covenant in Christ who was fully known, fully seen, fully looked upon. Their hands had handled the very word of life. We'll stop right there. That's uh, just God making himself known in space and time. Next week we're going to talk about God's glory and we'll finish with this We'll finish with this. Uh, with his omnipresence. Any questions or complaints or grievances? I fumbled around a little bit on this lesson, but hopefully, it, hopefully, uh, the takeoff the takeoff took a while, but hopefully, we stuck the landing really well. <laughs> or, yeah. And what did the disciples say? Why haven't you revealed yourself to everybody? <laughs> Why? Because he's Lord.
Yep. And that's not the only place that uh, we, we see that repeatedly. Going back to Matthew 16, for instance, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, right? Uh, no man has seen God at any time. That's the same idea being carried forth. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed, re uh, made it known. Uh, so he's the Lord over his revelation. Thank you for the object lessons today, Ty. All right, if we're done, we're done. We got 15 minutes before the second hour. <laughs>